0: On this episode, Seth steps in for India, we're still trying to find her, and we answer a bunch of hi-ho questions. You're back with the questions, and I'm back with the answers. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 335 of the Ask Gary V show. We're going old school. There is some variable differences. Seth is now India. Uh, Stunwin is nowhere to be seen. But DRock and Sid are still here, so I feel cozy and I'm excited to do the show. All the questions today come from the app HiHo, where uh, I've been really fascinated by their platform. I started really digging into it and then I decided to uh, get some advisory series and invest in it. Uh, a lot of you have been using it. Uh, I think it fits the way that people are doing Q and A in the mobile world, so I decided to do an episode using that format. Seth, you're allowed. To, you're allowed to talk on the show. <laughs> you know, I know you're, you. You might be. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not sure okay, what guys, you just said, but let's get yeah, into right. the show. Hey Gary, I know it's really important to maintain your energy and focus on the things that are important. So, how do you maintain relationships? but also say no to give yourself the energy to do and pursue the things that you really need to do? No, this is a great question. I'm not great at no. Ironically, literally yesterday was Monday. Sunday night or Monday, I started to feel a lot of pressure. I have, which is kind of rare for me, I have Series 2 V Friends coming in April. I have VCon coming in May. I have the NFT drop for the tickets to VCon which is a shift we made so you're getting airdropped the ticket. We have an app for VCon that has to work for people to get into the stadium in Minnesota. Um, I have a lot going on at X land. Um, our team who I'm hanging out with right now in general is probably in an interesting point of transition because I've been incredibly passive by nature with the Gary V content and everyone's trying to figure out our way. Um, and there's 36 other things, but especially the Be friends world, there's three to four significant things technology-wise that have to hit or the whole thing breaks. Uh, and so I was thinking about my calendar over the next eight weeks and how bad I am at saying no. People need help. I, I love karma. I love karma, which means that you're saying yes to a lot of things that don't make sense. Um, and so a couple things. One... It's incredibly easy to say no in the way that I think you're asking the question. If I can flip for you on stage, could you offer me an internship? No. The reality is if somebody's asking you for something, even though it's an important relationship, no different than kind candor, there's a way to have compassionate, explanatory no's. Can I interview you on my podcast? No. Oh, no. But I'll make you a promise. Yeah. You get to 100 episodes, and I'll do episode 101. Thank you. If D-Rock, who I'm very close to, asks for something, I can be compassionate that he wants to work on this project right now. I can explain to him that I'm in a real mess these next eight to 12 weeks, and then say no. That no is gonna land a lot better than if I'm just saying no. I think that what we miss in society a lot is the nuanced energies and words needed to deliver the package candor was a struggle for me like i talked about in 12 and a half once i put the word kind in front of it that package to the delivery of the message allowed me to be better at it compassionate empathetic explanatory nos, i think are incredibly effective in the way that you're asking the question Hey Gary, I'm a RealCities and I want to make a YouTube channel. Should I make one or three? I want to interview local business owners, I want to highlight what I'm doing just in my process, one. and I want to highlight the city and all the features one. it has. Should I make one channel one. or three? Answer is one. Um, I, I really believe that. I think fragmentation, we've had fragmentation, we've had two in the past. Fragmentation's difficult, especially with the way that algorithms are going. I do believe that TikTok, was a monumental change in the social media landscape. DRock, if you can point up there, up there DRock will show you Tumblr stock. I invested in Tumblr many, many, many moons ago um, because it was built on the interest graph. For everybody in their mid to late 20s, early 30s, th- this is gonna make sense to you. Tumblr was special back in 2008, nine, seven, 10, because it wasn't like who you followed, it was things you were interested in. And that's why I found Tumblr to be incredibly special. And if I was making videos like this back then, I might have even talked about Tumblr as a better concept than Twitter and Facebook, which might have seemed historically wrong in the 2020s or the 20 teens, called 2010 to 2020. But the reason I jumped on Musical.ly early, show the clip of Musical.ly stars on V many years ago. On this episode, we talk Musical.ly with Musical.ly celebs. The reason I jumped on Musical.ly early, which later got bought, but was really in essence the American TikTok and then there was an acquisition, the reason I always believed in TikTok was because it was around interest, right? Your first video might get four million views, you have no followers. Um, I have 13 million followers on TikTok but can put out a TikTok that gets only 30,000 views, the next one can get two million. I always believed in that and that's kind of where I see the world going more and more. Uh, You know, I, I think that because of that, less destination, less going to someone's page but seeing what's in someone's feed allows you to have all three different subject matters stick on your channel. And I think that's what we're gonna be seeing more and more. Just like I used to embed, embed, the YouTube and Vidler videos from YouTube and Vidler on WineLibraryTV.com because we hadn't been used to going to social networks. We went to people's destination websites to consume a video. I think the same thing's happening within the micro of social media. I think we now can have four, five, seven, 12 different things inside of our channels because the algorithms are now going to be more focused on what consumers are interested in versus who they follow. We're sharp this morning, Sid, we're sharp. (laughs) Gary Vee,
1: what is
0: one, two, or maybe even three conversation techniques that you use to try and get on the good side of all the people that you're communicating with? Not necessarily trying to get something out of it, but how do you just go about sharing that love with people from the get-go? You know, brother, it's not a technique, it's an intent. I don't have one, two, or three techniques, I just have my intent. My intent is to bring value to the other person, thus every action comes from that. The actions, the techniques, the concepts come from the intent, not the reverse. So this one comes very natural to me through my content that I've been incredibly intellectually generous with for 15 years, to the interactions I have with my team, to the way I work with my clients, to everything that happens in my life, when you have the intent to do good, which by the way, as a human being, you're not always gonna deliver 100% on your intent, and that's a real reality, but the technique is at the core, the seed of your actual intent. If you're actually there, sitting and talking to somebody, and you want to bring them value, get on the good side. There's only one way to get on the good side, to be good. You like that one, Seth? (laughs) Like that? Mic drop at the end? Hey Gary, thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm a therapist and spiritual coach. Here's my question. Me too. i built up a pretty sizable audience. How do I increase engagement? Um, I'm mostly on TikTok and Instagram. Thank you. Uh, Increasement of engagement comes from non-scalable behaviors. Let me say it one more time for the kids in the back. Increased engagement only comes from non-scalable behaviors. Point number one, reply to every comment you get every time for the rest of your life. I did that for the first five years of my career before it became mathematically impossible. Point number two, go on Instagram and TikTok live more often so you can actually interact more. Point number three, do something like the Ask Gary Vee Show where if people leave comments, extract them and do a show like this which will then show people that you're actually listening to their comments which will engage that audience to compel them to do more engagement. Engagement is the hardest thing to earn. Engagement is the best thing to earn. Engagement takes work. Most people think the work is done once you post the content. To me, that's the beginning of the work process on your way up. Uh, what's Nardine. your advice if I'm interested in something and I lose interest very quickly um, uh, when I've tried a bunch of things, uh, especially that it stresses me out because I feel like I'm never going to find my true passion. Uh, what would you advise me on that? Thank you. It's a great question. My, my perspective on this is it's no different than kissing a bunch of frogs until you find your prince. No different than dating or friendships you know, all of us at this point watching this video have gone through friendships and potentially relationships and the reality is some new kid moves in fourth grade, you think you're going to be friends, the first couple days are good and then the third day she or he shows you that they're not a nice person and you walk away, which is fine. No different than interests and passions. You know, the reality is is that I went skiing once back, you know, 15 years ago and it was fine. I kind of liked it. I was surprised I was decent by the third day, but it wasn't a passion of mine and it's not something I want to allocate instead of going garage sailing. That's okay. You're also extremely young and the reality is is that I wouldn't beat yourself up or overjudge yourself just because you didn't fall in love with cooking or being a yoga teacher or being into concrete manufacturing. The reality is you still haven't found it. That's awesome, there's nothing wrong with that. You're getting judged by people who've settled. This is an incredibly important point in our society. Normally, the people that will cast judgment on someone who's still trying to explore are people who themselves settled without exploring and are subconsciously deploying Misery Loves Company. Just to give you context of what just happened, that just sucked the air out of the room with my team behind this camera because it's such a profound point that I've not really made this articulately and it's very important for all of you. If you continue to be fighting to find your happiness and you find yourself getting judgment from your inner circle i promise you many of them just gave up and they are envious and subconsciously they're good people these are your parents these are your best friends these are your siblings they're they're not intending to be mean tear you down stop you conform you into settling like they did but that's exactly what they're doing so that there be no confusion your inner circle society is incredibly subconsciously interested in you conforming don't hey gary paul maynard here real estate photographer in colorado uh what i'm really curious about is how do you see real estate photography fitting into the nft space i find real estate photography like i find everything else on earth falling into the nft space this is my favorite time right now we're in a very interesting time in the NFT space with so much tension in the real world. Silly things like NFTs seem to you know, slow down. Plus there was an overpopulation of junk. So you have a supply and demand scenario. So we're starting to get to that next stage of NFT land, a nice year into the phenomenon that has been popularized NFT conversation. What we're seeing now is people really starting to be a hair more thoughtful. People are really starting to think. I think we were in the great era of February 2020, to excuse me, February 2021 to February 2022, I will call that the great era of collectability only or 99% collectability with a hint of utility. I think over the next 24 to 48 months, you'll see a shift in the NFT land where it will be predominantly focusing on utility with a hint of collectability. In a lot of ways, VFriends for me was a 50-50. There was a lot of utility. I can't believe I put that out in May of last year, and here we are in March of this year, and still almost every project did not deliver on as much real life uh, accessibility and utility. And I'm surprised by that, but I'm not surprised by that. It's similar to the question around how do we get engagement from our communities. The, The thing that is so powerful about NFTs is it allows somebody to put in the work, right? Like, I just mentioned earlier that Vcon's stressing me out, it's a big production, That there's a lot of work into that. I understand why some people would just rather make 10,000 squirrels with a cigar in its mouth and call it a day. But the reality is, is that photography real estate is going to be utility with a hint of collectability. So you're a real estate photographer, beautiful. You're gonna take a bunch of photos of real estate, I assume, houses, homes, inside, outside, and you can sell that as a collection if you get permission from the homeowner, maybe share it with the homeowner, the royalties and the upfront sales. But the reality is, it is very unlikely that the eight billion people in the world are gonna be overly compelled to collect photos of people's homes. There might be a small, tiny group of 8,000 people and that would be the market and that's beautiful, but to, to get this to a level of millions, those photos are gonna need to represent utility. So for example, if you launched a real estate photography NFT project, which is your photos around real estate, but every one of those photos was actually a ticket to four one-hour virtual Zoom lessons on how to become a real estate photographer, all of a sudden you're gonna have aspiring photographers who are looking to do photography for their life instead of working at an office, building a law firm, a clerk, a retail, anything else, because they love photography, but they're practical. They're not ready to make the jump and be an entrepreneur selling NFT photography or something else, so their practical job will be a real estate photographer. They may buy that utility because they're actually interested in Notice how I even called it, they may buy that utility. They may buy that NFT because it represents the utility. You may then get fame built over time where people may then start collecting your stuff, right? Like if I, let me give you a comp. In 2006, if I decided to review wine on pen and paper while I did Wine Library TV, I would argue that today those reviews on paper, given my popularity, may sell on eBay for 200 bucks a piece at the time they were worthless, right? If you think about the 4,000 that I did, so that's kinda how I think about it. I think a lot of NFTs today, right now, sit as very inexpensive on OpenSea, soon to be Coinbase and Meta, sit as inexpensive, less than 500 bucks, less than 300 bucks, but are destined to actually be collectible in nine years. Right? The Star Wars figure that I just got in the mail, thank you Seth Green, my Greedo, an original package, because I told him in a business meeting the other night that I loved Greedo and it was my favorite toy when I was a kid because he was all green and I was a Jets fan and Greedo was a Star Wars character and those were my two passions in 1982. That Greedo was $1.99 in Kmart and Bradley's, I remember. Today that Greedo that was sent to me graded 85 is hundreds if not thousands of dollars, I'll go look it up later, but the reality is it started off as a toy for kids like me in 1982 at $2 a piece Today, because of what Star Wars became, it's worth a lot more. So is Jackson Pollock, so is Andy Warhol, so are many things. Many things start at low and then go up. Right now, we're in a place where things start high and they're all gonna come down. Greedo. Greedo is my favorite my favorite Star Wars character. He's all, he's green on green, that's, that's like Rick Ross. Hi Gary, this is Denise from New Jersey. I have a commercial company here and as much as I post. I feel a little almost guilty with what's going on in the world. Yes. Of posting. How do you balance that, um, as far as being considerate and not making it about you, um, but still getting your business out there? Thanks. Bye. It's a tremendous question, and my team here knows because a lot of them are newer and they got to see it in real life this last weekend. You know, as the tensions in Ukraine and Russia and, uh, you know went higher it was me in my team thread, me in the V friends thread that said slow down. Like this is just not the time, like you know, as much as like we're putting love into the world and I do believe that the message that we put out through the lens of business but the, but the deeper message is incredibly powerful during these times, it's also not very obvious to the 99% that are watching this what I'm actually doing. And so it sits in the context of entrepreneurial and business content which I feel is inappropriate and then you find your way. Like, I've canceled three, three Twitter spaces this week, as Sid knows. You know, I did one because I felt in that moment maybe it was the right thing. You go with your gut, you do the best you can. It's back to the intent thing. I think there's been many times that I slash um, Media's clients uh, from my dictation at the top have paused content because it does feel tone deaf. You know, it's really hard to say, hey, buy my album, when when we're on the precipice of you know a real war in Europe which you know with a with a nuclear state like it's it's tense um at the same token living in constant fear is not scalable either i've done a lot of reading in the last month ironically around how people functioned during world war 2 in places that the war was going on and it's fascinating it's the human spirit you try to like you can't just dwell 24 seven, otherwise you're in a vegetal state. And so, you find your way. The fact that you're even asking the question means you shouldn't post. Because it's already on your mind. And that, that would be my answer to everybody. If it's even crossing your mind, maybe I shouldn't post, then you shouldn't. Always go with that. Your intuition is incredibly right. Don't let your uh, logical need for something at that moment take over. You know, always lean into your intuition if you're hesitant to post. Hey, Gary v. my main question that I want to ask is how do you find and pursue your passion after like a big loss in your life, say like a family member or yeah. a very emotionally impactful moment? I'm a big believer that the world is doing a bad job in not allowing people to grieve. When there are events that I'm assuming are happening here, my friend, which I'm so sorry for, I don't think the world does a good job on allowing to grieve. For example, you would think me, Mr. Ra Ra positive, go, 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 happy, look on the bright side, would be the first person to overwhelm you when something like that happens, to be like, no, it's okay, like, they want you to keep going, they're looking down and they wouldn't want you. Like, I feel like I, on paper, look exactly like the person that would be at the forefront of the, no, let's start the rest of your life and they're looking down at you and they love you. and like which I have those thoughts, comma, at 46 years old with the gray hair, is my belief is that we need to collectively, as eight billion people, create a better conversation around grieving. Um, I really do. Uh, I, for instance, have, feel no pressure on getting back to work when I have a moment like that happen in my life. I really don't. I will grieve, whether, and I, because I haven't been through it, it might take me an hour, because I could see that, knowing my chemicals, and it could take me four months, and I can see that, because, it can, and by the way, let's all call a, a spade a spade. The circumstances also are a major variable. Like, how did you lose someone? Is it a tragic, ridiculously unfortunate accident that's gonna hit you different than a long drawn out illness? Like, there's a million ways to think this through. Did you have time to reconcile it because it was a drawn out illness? Or was that even more challenging because it was like a cloud for two years? There's just so many circumstances. What was your relationship with that person? Of course, like, you know, people have parents and siblings and. Spouses and children and loved ones, but I don't think anybody here is confused. We have different relationships with the closest people in our lives that are different than our, our you know our friends and family. My relationship with my mother couldn't be more different than my dad's relationship with his. And so there's a lot of variables that go into this. Um, I often find that regret is a huge driver of how someone reacts. This is why I over push people to over communicate with the people they love. I think a lot of us get into our patterns. It was easier for me to talk to my parents when I had an hour commute from New York to New Jersey and Wine Library for five years than it is today. I think about it daily. Like do, will, do I feel good about how often I'm talking to the people I love knowing that everyone has an expiration date? My friend, the answer to the question is give yourself time to grieve, it's just okay. It's the most profound, there's only there's two profound moments in life. The moment someone is born and the moment that someone dies. There's a lot of interesting stuff in between, weddings and other things, but those are that's it. At its core, that's it. And I think that they should be understood and we should go deeper into them and I think we have to be um, more supportive of grieving and letting people go through it Um, Obviously you want to be supportive and some people get into a spiral. There's people that are more positive by nature. There's people that are more negative. So you have to, there's so many nuances to this question, but uh, I'm a big fan of one thing, like a big, big fan. I say it a lot. I think that people judge themselves too much. I just think all of you, all of you are beating yourself up too much about things. The things you're not or, you know, My sister's back to work and doing great. Why am I sitting in this dark room sad about my dad? Because that's how you feel. And that's okay. And I think we need to have that combo. Hey Gary, what are your tips for a fashion brand? Besides from making content on TikTok, what else do you got first? Thanks. First, make four organic TikToks a day. (laughs) I mean it. In the 15 years of my career that I would call my modern career, but really my 25 year career actually, because it all came from email and Google AdWords and all the things I did at Wine Library when I didn't have a penny to spend on marketing, this is all about underpriced attention. One of my recommendations, the same recommendations that always happen when you make a consumer product, whether it's a coffee, a phone, a sneaker, or a fashion brand, make a good product and get people to know about it. So, what do I think? Don't take shortcuts on the product. Make less quantity, but make higher quality. Like, make a good product. Number two, get people to know about it. By far, and there's not even anything close, organic TikTok is the greatest opportunity for somebody that doesn't have a million dollars to spend on marketing. The next best thing, paid ads on TikTok. YouTube Shorts, I'm very passionate about. I think is a real opportunity for arbitrage. So, making YouTube Shorts. Um, Networking. You know, whatever city you live in, hang out with other fashion people. Humans are the only other great moat besides media arbitrage. So one human can change your life. So if you're out at 2 a.m. in Berlin at the hot club, uh, cause you got yourself in there and you meet Hans and he's the head of this, that, and the other thing, like one person can change your life. That's just real talk and so I think that um, that would be the other thing I would think about, networking with real humans in real life, especially I think all of us are collectively pent up for that in a post-COVID world and I think that should be on strategy. But, but I'm not letting you get away with it. I would bet the farm that if I looked at your social media, TikTok, just the way you asked the question, there's no way you're doing four organic TikToks for your fashion brand a day. And the amount of people that we've seen come through these doors, a.k.a. actual doors at Vayner, but more importantly, the DMs and everything else um, are extraordinary. Right, so here's your TikTok. Right. This is Instagram. Can we, does he even have a TikTok? I Find this day, brand. Yeah, but like, you know, the, one day ago, two days ago, two days ago, Yeah, I mean, I'm just so over this Instagram, like this looks like a high-end fashion magazine photos. I I understand what you're trying to convey from a quality standpoint. I just don't think people give a shit. I just don't think people give a shit about every fucking fashion brand's Instagram looking like fucking Vogue from 1994, because that's what this is. And like, fuck, like people want engagement, people want other nuances, like, between all the fucking a list celebrities in the world, all the wannabe a list celebrities, and every fucking fashion brand, Instagram looks like a magazine from the '80s. Like it's just not interesting. Like I'm I'm pumped for like a quick little inspo, but like the Ralph Lauren model here that he's executing on Instagram is like, it like looks nice. It's like okay, this is high end. I just don't think that that's what's winning. That's why streetwear is really dominating high fashion because there's a sensibility of like some level of realness. Like, I think we're fatigued. I, I think high end fashion brands biggest issue by a country mine, Mile, is the complete and utter lack of humility and not taking themselves serious. Just something. Can we get an off speed pitch? Just one time. This guy has fucking what the fuck? <laughs> right? Like <laughs> You got our hook. Yeah, I mean, you got to take TikTok way more serious, and you've got to tone down the the elitism on Instagram. Hi, Gary. Hi. I've been doing YouTube videos uh, for around about four years, and uh, under the name Damp Sam. And last night I was out and about, and uh, somebody asked me. Asked, somebody asked me for my picture, um, first time I've been asked that. That's There's awesome. advice for people coming up and asking you for your picture. I <laughs> love the show. I love you back, brother. My advice is to, to never, ever, ever, I took two pictures yesterday out in dinner and the people that were with me, who are close, it was the VCR group, my partners in the, five, oh, the partner, that's how I have a freshman hat. Um, I was out with the VCR guys last night. Uh, big shout out to the people that went to the Miami events. Uh, for Fly Fish Club, Um, I took two photos, kind of like came while we were eating dinner, so it was like more, I would say, skews a hair more towards interruption, but very sweet, the best, but like definitely not like out and about, like actually interruption style more, but again, incredibly sweet, both groups. And and the observation for Capon was, he was just so happy because he's like, man, you still, after all this time, are just so happy, joyous. He's like, never lose that. And I'm like, I won't. It's back to the first question, intent, or the third question, intent, right? Uh, my, My advice on how to deal with it is to never let it not be flattering. Never, ever, ever let it not be flattering. The fact that another human being wants to go out of their way of what they're up to at that exact second to stop and take a picture with you because you mean something to them, that is profound and humbling and something that I could never understand how, even even the instances where I haven't loved the tone or tonality, and I'm looking at D-Rock because he's been there a lot, I'm, I still don't know how to convert that into a negative. You know, I'm more, I'm more compassionate, empathetic of like, I hope that person's okay or everything's good, but Yeah. I like the person that was pushing you in the back the other day. Yeah, <laughs> very aggressive. <laughs> Drek almost got beat up. You, you remember oh. the worst moment like that? I don't. I don't. It happened early because with Wine Library TV, it's it happened in 2006, mm-hmm. right? And it ha- it was weird. I think when it first started happening, where somebody like, where like somebody thought I was cool, was happening inside my wine store. Mm-hmm. So the context was weird. Yeah. It was like within my own domain, kind of like so. Yeah, I don't really recall. And I don't recall because it kinda goes back to the ears thing. Like, because I didn't think I was anything, like it's like, it doesn't register. Yeah, you still don't You still don't register a lot of that. I don't think so, right? No. Yeah. yeah. I just don't think you should. You know, like I was saying to Ab yesterday and we were catching up about something, I was like, it's hard for me to hear the booing. Because, I don't hear the cheering. I'm very big on that. I think it really matters. I think it starts at a young age. I've been spending a lot of time on what we cheer for for our children become their framework. If we cheer that they're so good looking, they start to find value in their looks and become vulnerable in their 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s. If we cheer for their sports acumen and like they're gonna be a pro and then they're not, they're lost at 22. Here's the scary one. If we cheer about their grades, we teach them to conform to systems that judge them every 90 days. That one scares me to no end. I will definitely be exploring that. This is the first time you've heard it. I'm in the lab working on this one. If we teach our kids to do good every 90 days by the subjective nature of a system, the current academic system, and a subjective notion of the teacher deciding them to give them an A and a B based on class participation, we are teaching them to conform to the system and then they become those humans. So, I think what we cheer for, my, my mom cheered for two things. No, my mom cheered for one thing and then the world cheered for one thing. As a child, I was booed for my sports acumen, my elastic acumen, and anything else, my look, whatever, and, though my mom told me I was the best looking up all the time, and then, and then, but my mom cheered when I was a nice kid, and the world cheered for me when I did business. When I sold lemonade and sports cards, the world told me I was good. My mom told me I was good when I was nice to people, not because of my grades. And I'm a 46-year-old obnoxiously successful businessman who pushes kindness. I don't think that's by accident. I think for all of us, we need to think about, as managers, as leaders, and definitely as parents, what do you cheer for? I think Vayner has a great culture because I'm more often cheering a C-suite or an SVP for how they handle the situation from an emotional standpoint, more than how much money they brought in. Hey Gary, it's Jadine. I love your stuff and I'm excited about Ho. I'm new to this platform so Fun. thank you for telling me about it. Quick, quick question. What is the number one most important thing when it comes to branding? Thank you in advance for your answer. Uh, that's a great question actually. The number one most important thing when it comes to branding that people can recall what it is and the thing they feel makes them want to be associated with it. When I say brand, ready, let's play on the other side. Coca-Cola, Crest, the New York Rangers, potato chips, uh, Adidas. When I just did that, every single person in the room and behind the camera reacted, as in I don't give a shit, or yes, or I used to like it, now I don't, or whatever it might be, that's brand. You know what it is, and you have a feeling and obviously all of our jobs that are building brands is that feeling to be positive. Um, Which is why actions matter so much in life because you could do everything right for 20 years and have good sentiment and take one misstep and then lose that sentiment and I think it's really fascinating, right? That whole concept of reputation can be built takes decades to build and can be lost in seconds, I think about that a lot. I've watched a lot of contemporaries or young hustlers that are coming up the game ruin their reputation by short-term scams on NFT land. If the, if the young hustlers that are watching this don't think that people like me are paying attention to who's behind the scams, especially the ones that throw my face on your fucking project when I have nothing to do with it because you airdropped it into my wallet and then you say I backed it, you piece of shit, to try to trick people to give you money or worse, one that I saw yesterday when you're doing an email phishing campaign to donate to the Ukraine and trying to make pretend that I sent that email. Do you understand what kind of piece of shit you are? We're finding you. We know who you are and the A players in the business world are talking behind your back and you fucked up your shit for a couple of dollars. Hey Gary, Andy Storch. I've got a book along with 6v Friends, and I want to get this out there in front of more people to get more speaking gigs in front of big companies. How do I get the book in front of more people and get more of these gigs to build my brand and make a bigger impact? Thanks. The thing you're thinking there, Andy, is you're thinking the book properly. You're thinking if I get the book out there, it will come and get me the speaking gigs clearly with the way you are talking. The speaking gig is the KPI. I will tell you, first of all, I gotta say 6v friends, thank you, and Boy, am I happy for you, comma. The answer to your question is the following. I think you're playing the wrong strategic move. I think you're trying to create a proxy to make the thing happen that you want. I think you play it a different way. Do what I did. This is literally what I did when I decided I wanted to speak. I started looking up on Google conferences around Web2, social media, technology, and business, and then emailed cold the conferences and said that I'd be willing to speak for free. So if I'm you, instead of trying to get the book out there with the hope that one out of every 50 people that gets the book might be involved in a conference, and by the way, that's being kind. It's probably one in every 5,000 people are somehow being involved in, the, in, in a conference that then will reach out to you because they liked your book, I would go about it totally different. Go to Google, search business, con- or whatever conferences fit your genre. So for everybody watching here, if you want to speak about pet care, well then just search pet care conference, enter. I guarantee there's results. Team, show me that. Pop it up right here, let's see what happens. Search right now, I'm just curious. Um, Pet care conference. You can use your laptop. (laughs) Pet care conference. Um, And then just email them and say, I would like to speak for free, I'll pay my way. Get three or four. Did some show up? International grooming conference? Yeah, there you go. Right, there you go. Yeah, there's one right here in Secaucus coming up, the International Grooming Conference, right? You just go to their event and then you just email them and say I would like to speak at your conference and you know, I'll pay my way. You get those three or four, right? You, you get somebody to film it, your sister, it's, you don't need D Rock. your sister, you know, like whomever and then you put that on YouTube and now you've got, you've got proof on, on film, as I like to say. And so, uh, that's what I would do, my friend. All right, that's the episode, right? Yep, that is. That was really good. That was was good, right? Yeah. We gotta do that. Yeah, there's some, that was, yes, Sid. Ooh, that's right, thank you. I forgot about that, that's fun. A little rusty, thank you, Sid. Uh, The question of the day. Why do you believe, and I want every, look, this is very important. It's important to answer the question today because I'm a very simple animal. I do very well with back and forth. I like ping pong. If I get a lot of answers to this question in the YouTube um, or in the Instagram, if you guys decide to go long form, or I don't know how long this was, TikTok is now going long to 10 minutes. This is longer than that. Yes. Thank you, DRock, Mr. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Damper. Uh, you know, So, and what about Instagram? We can put this fully in Instagram? Yeah, good, so if, if I get the answer to this question on Instagram and YouTube, we can? 39 minutes will fit oh, on Instagram? No, no, I want, no, no, no. how long does Instagram last? We could do an hour. Good, so if I get good answers to this question on Instagram and YouTube, then we'll continue to do more Ask Gary B's. So, here's the question in the face of a constant barrage for me over the last three years of talking about making four TikToks a day, make as many TikToks a day, seeing examples of people putting out tweets or coming up to me like, you, I did the TikTok and my, why do you think through a full hardcore vulnerable and self-awareness lens, why do you think you are not making two, three, four TikToks a day when the land grab is so obvious for you to have Success around your passion. Why do you think you are not doing it, even though you've been hearing it constantly and see other people succeeding in the advice? This was the Ask Gary V show. We'll see you next time. Team, if you like this show and you like D Rock, who just made me do this, please like, share, comment, subscribe, and wherever the fucking things pop up here.